Welcome to an episode of Leah and the Internet. I hope you enjoy the show. Leah and the Internet features rotating guests who discuss the impact the Internet has on the world. So who's Leah Devon Sorrentino? I'm an artist, currently living in San Francisco. In today's episode, guest host Leah Verdugo helps dissect the impact of virtual reality and immersive media on our minds, hearts, and bodies. The two of us discuss the concept of this proposed new medium and the unpredictability of VR and the limitations of current reality. I have Leah Verdugo here with me. Hi. Hi. Hey. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm an artist. I grew up in Philadelphia. Um, I make new media art. A lot of my work right now focuses on labor and the so-called sharing economy. I also work in video archives in Israel-Palestine, and I teach at the University of San Francisco. I teach design. Cool. Yeah. Where can people find you online? They can find me at liatverdugo.com and on Twitter at whatliat. So one of the things that we are going to talk about, which we'll probably delve into many things, is supposedly being called a new medium, a new frontier, which is virtual reality. Yeah, so we read this article that Andrew Morantz just put out in The New Yorker about Weaver, um, a studio in Santa Monica that is trying to be the Netflix uh, virtual reality and create content and be a virtual reality publishing platform and creation platform. Yeah, they're really trying to do a lot of different things. One of the things that I loved in the article was how when filming virtual reality, people have to duck. <laughs> <laughs> like producers, they can't be, if they're on screen or, or boom mics, people holding lights, all that stuff is captured. And so there is this um, part of the article where, where Morantz describes being on a shoot and they're shooting in this big amphitheater and the, so there's all these rows of seats and the director just lies down under the seats so that he's not captured by the four cameras that they're stitching together the footage from and just shouts from within these rows of seats where he's invisible action and it it's so fascinating to me how the more that we try to make immersive media for consumers the more invisible we have to make people in the production, in the production process. process yeah i think that that's unique for that particular type of storytelling because to me like a lot of the virtual reality that they talked about that most of it premiered at Sundance um, it was content that was created to be a story where like the other I think virtual reality that exists or not virtual reality but like immersive platforms are much more physical like I don't think that you're disconnected from you're not disconnected from your phone you're not disconnected from how it's happening the people having to disappear. Oh, before we started recording, yeah. you mentioned um, how anybody actually going to be in the film is now only interacting with the technology. Right, they're performing just for technology, not for other people. But if you think about that, that is so much more parallel to how we are experiencing communication currently. Like, it's becoming much more rare that I have more in-person conversations where I can see the physical person mm -hmm. rather than talking into a device. Mm -hmm that then projects to someone else. Where even like right now, we're recording this on Periscope mm -hmm. and we're performing essentially for the phone. Mm -hmm. Like with the idea that there might be an audience, with the idea that people could be participating, but really it's our relationship now with the technology. And even you, you're like looking back at yourself. Yeah, I know. Which is this, uh, they talk a lot in the article about how uh, will people feel disappointed with virtual reality because 
science fiction has proclaimed the medium to be like so ahead of its time but everything that they were discussing or now that we're discussing seems very like we're we're living it right now this is like a type of virtual reality right and that's why it was interesting when when they were talking about making a virtual reality app for meditation <laughs> and they brought on this meditation guru who was going to be the voice of this meditation virtual reality which by the way i think this maybe should be a whole other podcast about how with every new technology comes the meditation version of that new technology. Um, yeah. Like with every new technology comes another reason we need to relax. Um, I think those are correlated not by accident. But anyway, um, there was this point of the article where they describe current reality, mm-hmm. not as actual reality, but as, what was the word? Current reality? Yeah, it was current reality. Current reality. So it's not virtual reality and actual reality, but it's virtual reality and current reality, which I think is akin to the language we use for your virtual self and your like your IRL. Yeah. You know, it's not your actual self and your online presence. You know, it used to, there used to be this idea of divide, this divide that, you know, okay, I know I'm, I'm in touch with with you on Facebook, but that's not actually you. That's just like a proxy version of you. Sure. And that idea that your identity is, that's not your identity on Facebook, but now I have your identity in front of me. We kind of broke that down like five years ago. Even like the distinction that he, that they tried to make in the article so starkly about like the two different realities. I feel that that's a generational idea. Mm. I think that people who have been submerged in like our current form of technology actually don't view like the two different selves like they don't remember a time where their online presence could be like a conjured version like they don't remember a slash s slash l age sex location where you could like make up and like immediately in a chat room somebody asked you what you weighed and what your hair color was and weird things like that and you could become these different people Uh, I don't think that any of the platforms like allow, there's like too much transparency to each other. Right. Which is why it's so interesting. I mean, before we started recording, you brought up this point where virtual reality is kind of sickening physically, right? (laughs) You wear an Oculus Rift or you wear a Google Cardboard and after 20 minutes, it's like you got to take a break. Yeah. Like there's a threshold that people can't stand. Yeah. And that threshold actually tends to be breakdown upon gender lines and upon age lines, right? Like, typically women can stand it for less time than men, and younger people can stand it for more time than older people. And in the world right now, there's a first-person perspective movie and uh, called Hardcore Henry. And there's signs everywhere when you go to this movie that, like, this can make you nauseous, this is be warned. I can, like, Cloverfield, Blair Witch, I, I personally can't watch any of those kind of movies. I get I get seasick. The agenda of Weaver is to create this experience, but if your body physically doesn't want you to go through it, mm-hmm. it seems very like a, like a lofty goal of being able to like move people like emotionally through like this sensorial, I think I might have just made up that word, experience. But what does it mean that we physically reject it? It's the same thing like yeah. with uh, Avatar, the movie, mm-hmm. or any type of 3D modeling that it can't they, they, it could be more real than what we've seen, but that viewers have tested that when it gets to a certain percentage of like real, mm-hmm. that we start to reject it. Like I, I remember with Avatar, mm-hmm. they were saying that like the physical presence of like the rainforesty creatures that existed, that they could make them seem like the skin more real, the hair more real. But when they did that, people were repulsed because it gets into the uncanny valley yeah yeah i don't know i mean maybe we just all need to take dramamine with our oculus rift (laughs) 
You know, I mean, I wonder if that is part of, I mean, I know, I'm joking, but I'm also kind of not joking, right? Because there's, I feel like with every advance in technology, there's like more you have to do to your body sometimes. Mm-hmm. So what if that is, what if that's the proposition with this new medium? Sure. And I haven't experienced anything that uh, Weaver has created yeah. to know if the the physical discomfort, like what's the risk versus the reward? Anything that they presented, like did not seem compelling of enough of an experience that I would want to put myself through. Like it's not like a roller coaster, right? Like I might get nauseous on a roller coaster, but I can I can see like the direct benefits of the thrill, the excitement, the wind, the speed, where I don't see the same benefits to the physical impairment. I have not been currently like super excited about virtual reality as a medium. I thought it was really bizarre. Like I'm sure you saw a ton of memes that have come out or like articles where there's been pornography, like virtual reality pornography. And I have full disclosure, my my viewing of pornography is quite limited. So I don't think that I was prepared to like look into like trying to, <laughs> trying to experience, uh, you know, virtual porn. But I couldn't even understand. I mean, I guess I can understand the appeal. I don't know how this like plays out. Like does Weaver just be like, is that like the ultimate form or like what is... I don't know how much virtual reality porn you're into, but... <laughs> oh, I haven't seen any. Have you heard about this? Oh, of oh. course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess I always just assumed that all new technology is driven in some way by the desire for porn and right? the desire for <laughs> it's what military ki- advances. I just assume that. It's what killed HD DVD. Do you remember this? Like when pornography took a stance on Blu-ray or HD DVD? Yeah. That's what tipped it. Yeah. I can't imagine wanting to watch pornography in high definition. Like the human body has a lot of things that are very unappealing about it. Like ingrown hairs and like other weird like situations that seeing it in high def seems like you would want that separation. Do you want to talk about the periscope then actually because I feel like that ties right into this. Oh, for sure. With the so so there were these cases recently and and BuzzFeed wrote about being rape being broadcast live on the internet specifically through periscope. Um the the friendly medium that we're we're yeah, currently broadcasting right, on. The medium that we're broadcasting on right now. There is this amazing line in the article where there was actually a roommate who broadcast through Periscope her roommate being raped by someone. Yeah. And the prosecutor said, quote, she got caught up in the likes, end quote. Um, yeah. And That's so, such a really intense statement. Yeah. That we are caught, like, that we are being driven by affirmation more than we are driven by morality is essentially what that says. Right. That's intense. Right. That is what that says. Driven by affirmation more than morality. I've seen like a lot of really bizarre things on Periscope. It kind of reminds me of a, it doesn't kind of remind me, it's like an advanced uh, chat roulette where, but it's much more interactive Mm -hmm. and in real time. Uh, Well, chat roulette was as well, but remember when chat, like how exciting, do you remember chat roulette on it? And how exciting it was at first and then it was just a bunch of dicks. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Very quickly. Very quickly dicks. Periscope has, because you can search, it's not like the roulette part. You can navigate the dicks, mm-hmm. but I mean like at any point because I think that it's interesting that in our actual lives, if we decide that we're broadcasting something or sharing it, or it could be entertaining, that the person on the other end of the phone who was recording the rape 
could disconnect themselves from the act that was happening in front of them. That like the, unlike the virtual reality where we were talking about the actors actually interacting with the technology to create the story, this is where like the technology is impeding to like understand what's happening in front of you, if that makes. Well, I mean, when you say like, why would people end up showing their dicks on all these platforms? <laughs> yeah. One thing that it makes me think of is that in any situation, in any circumstance, people test boundaries. Sure. Like, that's how kind of that's how things often work. And so when you're a kid and you go up to another kid on the playground and you say to that kid, "You're fat." <laughs> <laughs> like you see what that kid's reaction is and like that helps you understand what the consequences of your actions are. Sure. Like if that kid gets really sad or really upset or that kid laughs in your face or that kid punches you or whatever, however that kid reacts will change how you say or whether you choose to say you're fat to another kid. But on Periscope, like you said, no one sees you back. So no one is, like, you can't see anyone's reactions back to a rape scene. Sure, you don't know if they're horrified, if they're excited, yeah, if they're... Yeah, All you see is, in Periscope just offers you the chat option and the lights, right? Yep. So you only see those things back, and, um, and because of that, when you test the boundaries by exposing yourself or by exposing all these things, the reactions that you get back are extremely, like, they're within like an extreme boundary. Yeah. And so I think that that especially when you're when one's younger, which happens to be the, the demographic of a lot of these services like Snapchat, though that's changing, but mm-hmm. Facebook Live and those kinds of things, a lot of times you are just using these technologies to test boundaries and when you don't have that like that two-way stream, that can create these kinds of situations more readily, I think. I'm interested in then if there's a place like Weaver that is trying to create this immersive experience of virtual reality, but essentially your participation can affect some things, but it really can't affect all things uh, because it's pre-recorded, it's it's pre-created. So if you had, uh, they, they used an interesting example where they were talking about Charlie Chaplin yeah. and how when there's... Charlie Chaplin is at a distance in a fake laddies, like a two-dimensional film, right. and he falls. It's funny, but if you can physically see some, or feel like you can physically see someone falling in front of you, it's concerning. In a in a non-flatty, in a 3D film. Yeah, yeah in a 3D film. It's, right. it, there's still a huge limitation for that, or does it, does it make sense that we're trying with this medium to recreate stories that can happen in the current reality? Like, is that mm-hmm. what it should even be used for? Because there's still always going to be that wall that you run up against. And I mean, I guess like with, with things like Periscope and Snapchat, they, they have provided so much more accessibility to a variety of things. Um, but maybe I guess like none of it has been out in the wild. Yeah. I just used air quotes like someone can see me on the podcast. It, they haven't existed long enough for us to understand what they morally mean to us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is your question, why are we using 3D video to create, recreate our own worlds over again? Kind of, but we do do that in 2D, like we do it in film. Like, yeah. so it's something that we've already done. Uh, one of the things that was exciting for me about the virtual reality is it was like a limitation create by boundlessness. Like this idea that uh, things could be endless and that actually becomes the difficult part. But I can't see what the three-dimensional experience creates beyond 
the two-dimensional yet. Mm-hmm. At least for films. At least for, like, narrative stories. I wonder if what it creates is a way for you to see things from, literally from multiple angles. I mean, so there's this filmmaker, Bravo, that made a made a piece um, for a weaver. Bravo made this film called Hard World for Small Things, where you're sitting in the back of a car, and you're basically the, the camera's sitting in the back of the car, and you're watching these three black men all go and pull up by a, a corner store, and, and two black men from the front get up and go in, and then there's an altercation and one of them gets shot. But you're sitting in the back, and you don't know whether to watch one of the men help a woman cross the street, or to listen to the other passenger who's sitting next to you, listen to his call, you don't know where to direct your attention and so you can watch the film over and over again continually redirecting your attention until you quote unquote find place that has the most action sure so i i guess i wonder if what what this can offer that's different is this kind of re replaying of the same scene but from many different directions putting it that way it does provide the viewer a lot more agency to place value on what they want to participate in the interesting thing about the virtual the the immersion, the virtual reality, is that you can't crop a scene, you can't dictate the frame words. So it, it, there is a major loss of control that the audience actually gains. And I think that that's how things like Periscope or Snapchat or other devices like that, I think that that agency of being able to take it away or present it to a lot, like, I think a lot of this is being drilled down by the audience wanting to be more of a participant. It's something that books have done really well, right? Like they are transcending. And it's interesting that I haven't thought about this till right now, but that that archaic medium supersedes like a lot of sensory experiences that a lot of our technology is trying to create or make oh, up completely. for. completely, yeah. I mean, one of my favorite books is If on a Winter's Night a Traveler by Italo Calvino, who's an Italian author. And the book begins with, um, him saying, okay, you've just bought a new book, If on a Winter's Night by Italo Calvino. Where are you? Are you comfortable? If not, get comfortable. You've just <laughs> opened the book. Is someone in the other room going to call you? Close the door. Tell them you're reading the new book by Italo Calvino. So it kind of goes in this yeah, very meta, meta way. And I mean, it just makes me think that you know, books are most often these rectangular objects, right? Mm-hmm. And what's different about VR is that you can't talk about the frame as if it's a, also a rectangular object anymore because that's completely shattered. It's mm-hmm. spherical now. So there's no such thing as inside the frame, outside the frame because it's all this round orb that contains almost everything that is within sight. And it's just a question of distance to and from that round orb. But it's amazing how even within that rectangular frame that is a book, you still can have that shattering that you're talking about. Yeah, which I think that something like television couldn't successfully do as a medium, nor film, mm-hmm. um, or paintings. A lot of a lot of two-dimensional work, I think, has that limitation where I th- it's a it's a separateness. And I think that the even as we're talking about this now, the idea like with that one woman's film with the in VR Bravo that. There is a scene that will gather the most attention, but as an audience at any point, if it gets too intense, if it's too much, I can look up at the sky. Yeah. I can look down at the floor. I can escape whatever is trying to be communicated to me, mm-hmm. which is a huge challenge for the artist, right? Like if, if you're trying to consider 
or audience participation. I think you, I've done performance work, you've done performance work, or installations, I'm sure that we both have probably dabbled in that. Yeah. The idea of being able to control the audience is like the most, to me, the most terrifying part of any type of work like that. And with a regular film, you, it's kind of like you're, you're getting a guaranteed gaze and that can, you can really control it. It's almost pushing regular film to be a, a bizarre type of performance. That, not bizarre performance, but at least having that type of lack of control. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can imagine that being really fun because it, it, it does have a linear, even though, it, even though the audience can look anywhere, the film still has to move forward in time. Yeah. And that's the control that you have as an artist directing one of these. Performance, one of these VR performances is you, the only control you have is the narrative move forward in time. Interesting that you just said that because the other thing that I think that virtual reality does that probably regular films, books, all that, all the other storytelling doesn't is it's immense time traveling, right? Like it's like Memento. You can continuously go back to the beginning and then have a new experience based off of a different avenue that you decided to go, which also means that from a storytelling perspective, you have to anticipate that rewind, that continuous, like, you can see the scene and decide to go back and see it a different way and decide to go back and see it a different way. But we're also imagining an audience with an infinite patience. I mean, yeah. which is perhaps the opposite of the Snapchat audience. I was just about to say. Right? I mean, like, who is really doing that, right? Who's really going to go back and rewatch this Periscope? Who, like, this audience, I think, that we're imagining is an ex- is a... It's like it's a, a platonic yeah. ideal. It's like a unicorn of audience. So that's what's really interesting too about our discussion. I think that we're oh, we're so idealistic. Yeah. <laughs> well, and what, but it's interesting that like a whole company is being created with that same idealism because movies are watched over and over and over again. That format, like, I'm re-watching Parks and Rec right now, like, mm-hmm. movies and television, and I've seen Parks and Rec, like, five or six times, mm-hmm. and I'm still compelled to go to the beginning and, and do it all over again. It's not so much now an experience of trying to see something new, but a familiarity, like, it's a comfort. Mm-hmm. I'm going through something, and I want something familiar that I know I, I'll enjoy. With the dictation of virtual reality, where you will not have the same experience. So why would, I guess to your point, why would somebody go back? Yeah. Why would they know that there might be a benefit if they did it different? I mean, I can imagine a world where you want to go back to your high school bedroom, and you have it, a clip of it, and you just go back and you look at it. I don't know, I can imagine these worlds not that far away. And you're like, here, let's go back and see it. Like, oh yeah, I remember where that is. You can also imagine this dystopic world where, you know, you are submitting your acting resume and someone in a Hollywood firm is looking at it and they dispose of it in the trash. Oh, this person's only acted in flatties. We don't want them. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, so, like both of these sure. worlds feel like they, like one's very nostalgic and one's very economics driven. And I kind of think that they both will exist at the same time. Well, and I, I mean, like they have to. It's like the idea that Snap, Snapchat exists and so does text messaging. And they're very different mediums. One is much more permanent. It's text-based. It's The other is image-driven. It's instant. It's gone. Um, I definitely imagine virtual reality competing with itself in that way. Where, But that's, that's how you get the widest audience. 
Like, I think that with, like, Periscope, the reason that people are compelled to project themselves out into the world is for many different reasons. One is to get that affirmation that can become debilitating to understanding how to move forward. And then the other is because a general want to share content or figure out new ways to engage. It's not just that, like, one narrow visceral experience. It, it becomes, like, a plethora of different things. Do you think VR is a new, quote-unquote, medium? I don't think it's new because it's been and even in the article acknowledged, has been prophesized by science, science fiction. I remember on when I was a kid, after the movie Reality Bites existed, there was a store on the boardwalk in Ocean City, New Jersey, that was called Reality Bites, and all it was was virtual reality machines. On the Ocean City boardwalk, Jersey. What did they look like? They were giant, like, modules, and you would go in and you would put headsets on and you could play golf, or you would put... Uh, one was a headset and you were like swimming and like things would float around you and I only ever got to go in there once because it was very expensive and it didn't it didn't exist there for that long but we're talking about 20 years ago so I think that people have been dabbling in this idea like Disney has been dead like there's so many things where there's contraptions that go over our head and the idea of being able to escape, not just visually, but physically. I don't see it as something completely separate than what we've been trying to strive for in many different ways. Like a ball pit is like a form of virtual reality, right? Like not in the strict sense, but in the immersive, physical, sensory, escapist sense. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I didn't find it, maybe what they're trying to do with it mm -hmm. is a new way to look at it. And I don't think of it as a whole new, trajectory what I mean do you I think it's a new medium in the same way that apps on your iPhone are a new medium probably like apps that actually use the fact that they're apps well but aren't just glorified websites yeah sure they do I think that you could say that maybe someone's been prophesizing an iPhone for a while and there are things leading up to it but until a smartphone became ubiquitous and the way that it has changed culture yeah I think it's new I mean, I'm thinking back to what was that device that what you could put a, a, a like a slide on each eye and there'd be a divider down the middle. Do you know the slide that, that object I'm talking about? No. Okay. There are these like 3D viewers that have been around for a long, long okay. time. And so when you say, you know, it's not new, it's been around for a long time, I think back to those. And I think back to the, this is like the precursor, the prehistory of 3D viewers. And there would be traveling salesmen that would go door to door and they would try to sell these to the men of the household because of course... We're talking um, a heterosexist <laughs> world. And um, the story goes that when the man, the traveling salesman, would, would give this device to the man, that man would be, it would engulf your eyes and your vision, and the traveling salesman would then flirt with that man's wife. And oftentimes it would be this thing that would happen because the man of the house was so engulfed in the vision. Sure. And like, these stories of like complete engulf engulfment have been around for years and years and years and years, but I think the degree to which this can happen and the ease to which it can happen um, is new. Yeah, and, but, and newness is such a slippery word and it's such sure. a slippery slope. And so, I don't know, it, it's sort of like a point on a curve, like an inflection point. And you have to do all this calculus to find the exact inflection point. And at a certain point, it all comes out in the wash. Yeah, I would say that the platform that they're trying to create is new. Yeah. But the concept that they're trying to drive is not new. Yeah. I guess, like, if we're going to, like, I think that the app analogy is pretty good. Like, if you're talking about, like, a disruption from the way we've done something. So, to go way back into the beginning of the conversation, films used crew, 
they actors interacted with people and technology mm -hmm. films were made mm -hmm. we're now abstracting all of that previous knowledge to challenge the way narratives or not narratives are created and experienced but the immersion the escapism mm -hmm. all of the things that the utopia part yeah. of virtual reality is trying to achieve i think is like one of those things like dawn of man things right i think one of my most powerful vr experiences was one that neither had to do with escapism nor immersion and it was at um the living room light exchange which is the new media salon series that i co-founded and co-curate here in the bay and it was an artist named who goes by blink pop shift and she did a, a site-specific vr performance at our last month's salon where she came to the site of the salon early and they always happen in people's living rooms and she filmed with a 3d camera a performance and then when it was her turn to present she had us all load the youtube viewer which loads spherical video so you can watch a video and as you move your phone it moves as if you were watching it in an oculus or in a google cardboard and so we were watching on our phones in a room a video that was filmed in that room and then she was performing in tandem with it and talking back to herself that we were watching on our own um, on our own phones. And so it was not about escaping. It was about actually being super present in that room. And there was this chorus of little blink pop shifts on everyone's phone in that space. And then she was responding to the chorus. Um, but that was maybe the most powerful because it was so immediate. It was so, I was so immediately yeah. in that space, and the, the film that I was watching was, I could tell exactly where I was sitting. Well, and what you're describing also is, like, it's not, it's a parallel. Like, if they, if they were talking about a current reality and a virtual reality, that's a, that seems to me like a true, um, to where you could abandon both worlds, or, excuse me, abandon both words, mm -hmm. and... Just you describing that sounds so much more powerful than me having to do something to take me away from where I am in space and time. Um, that that seems like a really powerful way that virtual reality can move forward to make you experience your physical experience differently rather than transport you to somewhere that you actually are not. Yeah, I think so. I think that should be the goal. Yeah. <laughs> And I think that's a really nice conclusion. <laughs> Great. Yeah, we did it. Wow. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Uh, one more time, where can people find you and your endeavors online, offline? Um, online, liatberdugo.com. On Twitter, at whatliat. And offline, around Oakland. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the show. As always, share your thoughts and opinions about this episode's themes on Twitter at and the internet and on the blog at leeandtheinternet.com. You can also find the show on facebook.com slash internet.